everyone. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church Noblesville. So great to see a full room and hear so much energy in here today, much better than last week when it was Daylight Saving Time Sunday and everybody was just a little bit sleepy and a little bit cold. And I'm so glad that you guys are here. Hey, uh, at least one time a week, uh, I love our staff here at Genesis Church, by the way. You guys should know that. If you're new here, if you're just checking us out, we have a great team and I love them. And uh, at least once a week, we go out to lunch together. Not, all, not everybody all the time, but usually four, five, six of us, we go to lunch together at least once a week. And when we go to lunch, we play this game. Maybe you play this game at home too. It's called, Who's Gonna Drive? Okay, and so we could, here's how it works, is uh, we're getting ready to go to lunch and we walk out the front door and all of our cars are parked along here by the ramp and we all look and go, Oh, Jenna's got a car seat in her car. Uh, Leah's got two car seats in her car. Who knows what Jose has in his car? Uh, so I always do this. I guess I'll drive. I've got my keys. I'll drive. Everybody get in the car. And I have to be, it's, I, I'm a little bit of a martyr, quite honestly, because I always have to drive. But I've got a secret I want to let you guys in on today. And I just want to ask you not to tell any of our team here. I actually like to drive. I like to drive to lunch. And there's a, a few reasons for that. One is, Actually, there's only one reason for that. It's I'm a control freak. That's it. I, I am a control freak. I like to be in control. Uh, although I heard it said a couple years ago, I actually like this term a lot better. I like to think of myself as a control enthusiast. You know what I mean? Like I really appreciate control. How many of you would consider yourself a control enthusiast? Right? Okay, good. I appreciate you. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining the club. There is a control enthusiast club. Actually, there can't be a control enthusiast club because who would be in charge? We don't want to be in charge, right? But I like, I like being in control because when I'm, when I'm driving, I can decide where we're going. I can decide how fast we get there. And most importantly, I get to decide when we leave, right, when we come back. And so that's important to me. Um, I like to be in control of things. And I think most of us like to be in control of at least some areas of our lives, usually in those areas where we're really strong, right, where we excel. But I want to ask today, does our desire for control come from maybe an overestimation of our abilities? And what if some really wise person in the Bible said that we are actually at our best when we're at our least? That's what we're going to talk about today. We'll get there, I promise. But first, open your Bibles to John chapter 3 if you have them. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some on the table in the back of the room, and you can grab one of those, and you can actually take that with you. That's our gift to you as you leave because uh, we want you to be able to read scripture. We're reading through the book of John this year, but as Ben said, we're taking a little break right here in our series called Grow. We're spending four weeks, and this is week four, uh, celebrating the two-year anniversary of our Greater Initiative. Now, if you haven't been around, uh, you don't know what Greater is, I'll just give you a little reminder. Greater, two years ago, we launched this two-year initiative called Greater. And the goal was to raise $7.5 million over two years so that we could grow in faith grow together as a church, and keep working toward three specific goals that we had for greater, and they were to make disciples, reach our cities, and change the world. Now, making disciples is all about what we do on a week-to-week, day-to-day basis here at Genesis Church, from students to groups to kids uh, to outreach. It's all the things that we do, including Sunday morning. Sunday morning is important. It's not the most important thing that we do, but it's all the things that we do as part of our regular ongoing ministry here at Genesis Church. That's making disciples. It's, It's really the engine that drives our church. Reaching our cities was all about equipping our facilities to best meet the needs of the cities that we serve. We feel like we're called to Noblesville and Carmel. If you don't know, we are one church in two locations. We've got two campuses right now. Maybe there'll be other cities in the future, but right now we feel called to these two cities. 
And so how can we best equip our facilities? And if you're here, you may know that we've been looking for a new facility for our Noblesville campus. We're in rented space here. We're a little bit tight on space or a lot tight on parking space. And it's only going to get worse over the coming years as the city moves to expand Pleasant Street. So we've been looking at that. I wish I had something to announce today. I'm sorry I don't. That would be really cool, though, wouldn't it, God? It wouldn't, wouldn't it be really cool if on the last week of our greater celebration we could announce that we've got a building? That would be so cool, and everybody would cheer and applaud, and I don't have anything to announce today, so I'm sorry about that. But we've been looking for a new, uh, more permanent location for our Noblesville facility, and then finally, Change the World is all about generosity beyond the walls of Genesis Church so that we can support other ministries that are helping people find their way back to God uh, here in central Indiana and throughout the world and we, get, we laid out three specific places where we wanted to have an impact on the world when we started Greater, and it was our local schools uh, through foster care and adoption and with ICF Church in Albania. And so if you have been around, you've heard some of those announcements over the past few weeks of how we've done that. And as we close out the celebration today, uh, we wanted to celebrate you. We want to celebrate you, the givers, the people that made Greater possible. And so that's what we're going to do today. We've got some cool things happening today. Uh, in case you missed them in the lobby, maybe you came into the last second and had to rush through, I want you to know that uh, if you got your picture taken, if you were here week one and you got your picture taken at our photo booth, we have a copy for you out there, a framed copy of your photo out at the info hode. Please take that with you when you go, uh, because even if you don't like it, chances are you'll like it, you'll have more to do with it than we will. <laughs> you know, we don't want to, we don't think it would be fair to throw your picture away. Uh, that would feel kind of wrong. So take that with you when you leave today. Um, if you like this hoodie, we've talked about this for four weeks. These hoodies were what we gave to our staff for a Christmas gift. There are 14 of them that exist in the world, but there's about to be 14 more because we're giving some away. We're giving away six at each campus and a couple online. And if uh, you would like to enter to win one, there are tickets at the Info Hub. And even if you've put a ticket in the bucket before, you're here again today. You can put another one in there. We're going to draw those names tomorrow, and we'll let you know if you won one or not. Now, if you don't win but you still want some Genesis gear, I've got news for you today. We are opening an apparel shop for the next couple weeks. I just want you to know, uh, for the next two weeks, this will be open, genesischurch.me apparel. There's a website that'll link you to that. And if you wanna buy some Genesis gear, you can do that. Now, a couple things I wanna say about this. This is so important. Please hear me when I say this. This is not a fundraiser. We are not uh, marking these up. We're selling this stuff at cost. Genesis is not handling the money. This is being done through a third party, so they're going to collect the money and do all the fulfillment. So this is not something we're doing uh, just to prop us up or to make a little extra money. This is just something that we've had so many people request, I really want to buy a shirt or a hat or get something with Genesis uh, logo on it. So uh, you can go there, genesischurch.me apparel. It's open until April 3rd, and again, we'll post this on socials and on our website uh, this week so that you can see that. Uh, some other things that are happening. After the service, when you walk out there, there are cupcakes out there. It's a birthday party. We need to have cake. So there's cupcakes. Grab one of those on your way out. And we also have a free gift for you for being here today. Um, you have your choice of this really nice leather bookmark that says greater on it. If you're a reader, you can take that with you. Or uh, a mud love bracelet that says greater on it uh, in several different colors. Those are out there over by the cafe. As you leave, please pick up one of those. And then later in this, that's a lot, right? That's a lot of things happening. But then, and oh, by the way, this hoodie has pockets. I don't know if you noticed that. This is so cool. And I know ladies love apparel with pockets. And so I just want you to know this has pockets on it. Um, 
what was I talking about? Oh, later in the service, uh, we're going to tell some stories. I told you we're going to celebrate the givers today. Later in the service, we've got some stories of people uh, who have given sacrificially to greater and how that has impacted their relationship with God over the past two years. I can't wait to share those with you. Now, the name greater came from John 3.30. Uh, John 3.30, John the Baptist tells his followers this. He says, he, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. And since we're reading through the book of John this year. If you haven't been with us, we're doing this year-long series called Grow. We're reading through the entire book of, of John. We've got uh, journals and reading plans at the Info Hub if you haven't grabbed one yet. Uh, you've got a break in your reading plan this week. If you've been following the reading plan and you've fallen behind, you've got a chance to get back caught up. Now, hopefully you're not too far behind because you've had, honestly, you've had three months to read five chapters. So um, if you're behind, you, this is your week. Get caught up, okay? Um, but I thought we'd take a step back and go back to this verse. This is what we founded. Uh, the whole idea of greater came from this verse, John 3.30. Um, and what, we want to see what John's really trying to tell us with this phrase. But before we go there, I want to give you some context for what's happening here. So I'm going to back up just a few verses to John 3.22. That's where we'll start this morning. John 3.22 says this. After this, don't worry about what this is. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. And baptized. So Jesus is spending time with his disciples and baptizing people. Now John, John the Baptist here, was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water. I love that justification, by the way. John, why are you baptizing? Oh, there's plenty of water. Why not? All this, <laughs> you know, there's water here. What, are we, what else are we going to do? Because there's plenty of water and people were coming to be baptized. Now, this was before John was put in prison, but an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, remember, they're baptizing people for repentance. Uh, John's message was always repent for the kingdom of God is near. So they're baptizing people. They have this argument. These, these Jews came, uh, came to John's disciples, and then John's disciples come to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, that man is... Jesus, okay, that man you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. All right, so just clarify the, what's going on here. John the Baptist has been baptizing people in this area for quite some time. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes on this little tour. We talked about this. He comes back down into Jerusalem for Passover, runs into Nicodemus. After that, he comes down back by the Jordan. He's baptizing people. A Jew, another Jew comes to John's disciples and say, hey, that guy's baptizing, and he's baptizing more people than your guy is. And they come to John the Baptist and say, hey, what are we going to do about this Jesus guy? He's baptizing people down here too. Okay, so that's what's happening. Now, if you're in John the Baptist's shoes, this seems a little bit unfair, and especially if you're one of my friends who is a control enthusiast, right? Because John is the one who started baptizing in this area. He's been down here. This is kind of his territory. This is his terrain. In fact, he's the one that baptized Jesus. Heck, his name is John the Baptist. Like, if he's not the best baptizer in the world, what is he, right? I mean, don't you think that could cause a little bit of an identity crisis? I know it would for me. I mean, after all, I'm not good at everything. I know that about myself. I, I've got weaknesses like everybody else. Uh, and places where I'm weak, I'm readily able to admit where I'm weak, and I love to bring people around me who can be strong in those areas. But where I can sometimes get a little sideways, I don't know about you, but where I can get a little sideways sometimes is in areas where I think I'm really strong and somebody else comes along that's a little bit stronger. You know, you know what I mean? Like, man, that guy's a really good teacher. He's really good. 
That, that lady, she's a good leader. She's a really good leader. I wish I could lead like she did. I think I'm a pretty good leader, but I think she's a better leader than I am. You know what I mean? And that's when I get, like, in my heart, I get a little sideways because I think I'm strong in an area, and somebody comes along that's a little stronger, but not for John the Baptist. Look at what he says to his followers when they say, hey, that guy over there that you baptized, he's baptizing more people than us. Look what John the Baptist says. He says, a person can only receive what's given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. John says, look, I can only baptize the people that God gives to me. Like, I can only get what is given to me from heaven. And you heard me say that I'm not the Messiah, that that guy is. So when his disciples confront him about this, John's response is not only, he doesn't just say, you know what, it doesn't matter. He says, that's how it has to be. That's how it's got to be. That's how it should be. Jesus should be baptizing more people. This is really consistent with what John's already told his followers. If you remember from John chapter 1, John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. Why? The Bible tells us he's baptizing people so that the Messiah might be revealed to Israel. That the very reason he baptized people was so that Jesus would be revealed as the Savior of the world. This is the, and so John says, this is the way it has to be. And then John goes on to use this analogy that I think is so brilliant. Because his followers 2,000 years ago would have immediately understood what he was talking about. And even us now, 2,000 years later, we'll read this and we'll go, oh, I get it now. I understand this. Look at this. He uses the analogy of a wedding. Verse 29. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you know that the wedding is absolutely only about the bride and the groom. Right? It's not about the best man. John says, I'm the friend of the groom, or like I'm the, what we would call the best man. And if you've ever been to a wedding and seen the best man try to make the wedding all about him, like out on the altar pushing the bride and groom aside and said, hey, I know this is about these guys, but let me just tell you, I got a couple jokes I wanted to share with you today. You know, you would think something is wrong with that guy. Right? It's not supposed to be about him. It's supposed to be about the bride and the groom. And he says that uh, the, the friend of the groom has joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I wasn't going to tell this story, but um, I do have a story of that. When I was getting married, I was late for my wedding rehearsal uh, because I stopped to get gifts for our wedding party. We just had uh, one bridesmaid and one groomsman. And... Um, I uh, didn't realize how long it would take to get to the church. I was coming after work, and uh, I had to stop and find gifts, and I had a hard time picking out what gifts were so supposed to be at the church at 5.30, and I got into my wedding rehearsal at uh, almost 6 o'clock, 10 till 6, and you can just imagine the joy that filled the room when they heard the, the groom's voice come into the back of the room because there were some people in the room that thought I had you know, been a runaway groom, but I wasn't going to do that to my wife. But he says, the, the, the friend of the groom has joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And so Jesus is the groom, the bridegroom. John is the friend of the groom. We might call him the best man. And, and you know, this analogy, I think, still holds up. It still holds up for us today. We understand this. We hear this. And John says, look, I'm just here to support the bridegroom. I'm not the center of attention. Uh, and then he makes this declaration. And look at the first part of this. I love this. John 3.30. This is when he makes his big declaration. He says, he, Jesus, must become greater. And anybody in this room that's a Christ follower, I think you would agree with this, right? Uh, in fact, I hear people say this all the time uh, when we hear about our government. You know, Jesus just has to become greater in our government. We need more Jesus in our government. Uh, 
I hear people say this about our schools. Jesus has to become greater in our schools. Uh, Whenever somebody has an issue in their life, when we have a friend that has an issue in their life, we're quick to look at them and say, they need Jesus. Like they need more Jesus. That's what they need. And I think most of us that are followers of Jesus, we would even, we would even say like, that we need more Jesus in our life, right? Most of us are ready to admit that. If you're, if you're a Christian, I hope that you would think that, that Jesus has got to become greater in my life. And in fact, most of us, whether we're Christians or not, many, many people, even if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, I think there's a lot of people that believe this too. Like for Christians, we'd have a hard time arguing we don't need more Jesus. But the thing about Jesus is the way that he taught, the way that he loved people, the way that he lived his life and carried himself, a lot of non-Christians would still look at Jesus and go, you know what, if this world would be a better place if there was more Jesus, right? That's not the hard part of John's declaration. Jesus must become greater. Where it gets tougher is when we look at the second part of this verse, and John says, I must become less. Come on, John, really? Like, couldn't we have just stopped with the first part? Like, I I get it. Jesus has to become greater. But isn't Jesus great enough without me becoming less? I mean, why can't Jesus be greater and I be just a little less great? I'd be okay with that, right? Jesus is greater. Hey, Jesus got to become greater. I'll become greater too, just not as great as him. Isn't that, wouldn't that be okay? But see, that's the, and, and I think, after all, I think most of us would look at that and go, because I'm better than most people I know. Right? I'm, I mean, I look at some of the things that are happening in the world, and I think, boy, if they would just listen to me, if they just pay attention to how I'm doing it, if they just uh, live their life like I'm living my life, they would be in better shape, right? I think most of us have kind of that thing. Where I'm, I'm better than most people I know, but um, that's the wrong standard. We often think we're better than other people or most others, even if we would never say that, right? Even if we would never come out publicly and say it, deep down in the darkest recesses of our heart, don't most of us believe that we've got more of life figured out than most people, that we're often on the lookout to find flaws in other people just so we can feel better about ourselves. I love how Bible commentator Kent Hughes says this. He says, our competitive society is structured to compel us to measure our achievements against those of others. Let me give you an example I read this week. There was a study of drivers done by Allstate Insurance a few years ago, I think 2014-ish. And... um, Here's what they found. When you ask the average driver to rate themselves on how good of a driver they are, the average driver will give themselves a seven. I don't know if you're a math person, but if you see the, uh, see the problem already, the average driver is above average, right? <laughs> okay. And if you go from one to 10, the average driver gives themselves a seven. But here's what they found out when they dug a little deeper in this survey. Even people who rated themselves a seven or better at driving were, would readily admit to risky driving behavior, things like speeding, and running red lights and texting while driving. But here's the thing. People who rated themselves a seven or above always had a reason for their risky driving behavior. I was running late. There was nobody coming. I had to let somebody know that I was running late. Uh, That car came out of nowhere, right? So we've always got an excuse for that. Um, And see, when we think we're great or even pretty good, we have this tendency to try to excuse our behavior, to try to minimize it, right? To minimize our bad behavior, to emphasize our good behavior. But when we look at the behavior of other people, we don't see their intentions or their motivations. We only see 
their behavior, the results of their actions, right? So the reason we think we're above average is because we compare our intentions with other people's behavior. We see what they did and that it's wrong. And when we see what we did that's wrong, we say, well, that's not what I meant to do. What I meant to do was actually this. But making excuses for our behavior flies in the face of God's grace and forgiveness. You know, Jesus died not to make excuses for our bad behavior, but to pay for it, to cover it. And when we try to brush that aside or think we don't need it, it's when we act like we're not as bad as the next guy, what we're saying in reality is, well, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, but you know what? I don't need it. I'm a seven, right? I'm good. Save that for the next guy. And Jesus becomes less to us. And I think that's why John the Baptist wants to remind us that for Jesus to become greater, we have to become less. We must, as one translation puts it, we must decrease. And when it comes to who we should listen to about this, I don't think we can come up with a much better role model than John the Baptist. He's got to be pretty high on our list because look at what Jesus said about him in Luke chapter 7. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. But even with that kind of endorsement, what we find find as we read through Scripture is that the key to John's greatness is his humility. The key to John's greatness is his humility. He's humble. And uh, if John says for Jesus to be greater that he has to become less, well, it makes sense that the opposite is true too. That when we make ourselves greater, that Jesus becomes less. I mean, that's what we call pride, right? When we make ourselves greater. That's pride. We make ourselves greater than we actually are. We make ourselves feel better than we actually are. We make ourselves greater in other people's eyes. That's pride. When that happens, we make Jesus less. Now, Charles Bridges once said that pride lifts us up and causes us to contend for supremacy with God. And think about that. We have this supreme God who rules over everything. And when we have pride in our life, it causes us to contend for that supremacy with him. And, and, and I got to tell you, friends, the Bible has nothing good to say about pride. In fact, it says that God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. So if there's someone who's proud over here and God is over here, God opposes. It's an active tense. God is actively opposing the proud. I wonder if you've ever been trying to get something done and you couldn't figure out why you couldn't get it done, no matter how good you were. Did you stop to take a look at your pride? God opposes the proud. John Calvin said it this way. It's a little heady, but I love this quote. He said, God cannot bear with seeing his glory appropriated or stolen by the creature, even in the smallest degree. So intolerable to him is the sacrilegious arrogance of those who, by praising themselves, obscure his glory as far as they can. When we're prideful, he's saying we are actively working to steal glory from God, glory that rightfully belongs to him. And since you're here this morning, I know you would never want to take God's glory away from him. You'll rightly admit that he deserves the glory. But don't you deserve a little bit of it? I mean, after all, you've got talent. You've worked hard. You've invested time and money in something really important to you. I just want to remind you that you have a very real enemy who would like nothing more than to seek, kill, and destroy, or to, to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And one of the ways that he can do that is to get you to take just a little bit of God's glory because if you can take a little bit of God's glory, that's less glory left for him and he deserves all of the glory. But your enemy would like to see him get less of the glory. So if you can take part of that, 
then he's winning. Now, on the other hand, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. So he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That when we become less, right, as John the Baptist would say, that God's grace can abound in us, that there is more grace available, that grace is plentiful. William Carey was an English missionary to India in the late 18th century. He's probably best known for translating the Bible into several languages, Indian languages, Bengali, uh, Assamese, uh, Marathi, uh, Sanskrit, and Kerry is known to many as the father of modern missions. And if you go to Oxford University today, Regents Hall, you can see the couch on which William Carey died. While he was laying on that couch, on his deathbed, he turned to his friend and he said, when I am gone, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's savior. And that's, that's humility. And the apostle Paul wrote it this way. He said, but He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many of you love to boast about your weaknesses? Get those hands up in the air. His power is made perfect in weakness. When we become less, we allow Christ to become greater in our lives, and his power is made perfect, and his greatness can be seen and known by all because we are not trying to steal the glory that he rightly deserves. Now, I told you when we started, what we wanted to do today was celebrate you, to celebrate the giver. So what does this have to do with greater? (laughs) What does this have to do with generosity, with giving? Well, we'll look back a couple of verses at verse 27. Look at what John the Baptist had to say. He said this, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. And as we talk about humility, I think the, the best givers, the most generous people that I know have this very attitude about their money and possessions, that it doesn't belong to me at all. It's merely something that God gave me from heaven and trusted me to manage or to steward in my life. I wonder if you've ever been entrusted to take care of something that was somebody else's. Have you noticed how you take better care of it if it belongs to someone else? Like if you borrow somebody's truck to move something, you probably fill it up with gas and wash it, get it back before you get it back to them. Or if you have to borrow somebody's lawnmower, you'll hose it off and make sure you take good care of it, right? If you have to borrow something of somebody else's, you take good care of it. Well, this is what God, is, God says about our money, that we, it is on loan from us. It's his, that, that we are, uh, are caretakers of it. We are we are fiduciaries of it. You know what a fiduciary is? If you're, if you're looking, if you're, I'm a, a business major, some of you know, so I like to use these analogies all the time. And I know they don't land with all of you. So if this doesn't land with you, it's okay. It's cool. You're not dumb. I'm not smarter than you, whatever. Um, but I want you to know, there, if you're looking for an investment advisor, there's, there's two ways you can go. You can go with somebody whose job it is to sell you investments, right? And you might, that might work really well for you. They get a commission off everything they sell. And then you can go with a fiduciary. And a fiduciary, the the definition of a fiduciary is it's someone who is legally obligated to act in the best interest of the client. So if I'm a fiduciary and you trust me with your money, I have to make, legally, I have to make the best decision for you, even if it's not the best decision for me, right? Because it's your money. What if we all acted like that with God's money? Like what if... We all treated God's money like we're fiduciaries. What if we spent our lives looking for the best investments, not for us, not our best investments, but for the interest of his kingdom, of God's kingdom? We're, like, we're gonna use God's money to invest in God's kingdom. I mean, after all, scripture says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I think the most generous people have this attitude that you only get 
what's given to you from heaven. That they, they hold their money and possessions very loosely with open hands and say, God, it's all yours anyway. Use it however you see fit. And I know many of you over the last two years have done that. I, I just look around this room right now and I see faces of people that I know have sacrificed things for greater. You've sold things. You've sold investments. You've sold cars. Uh, you've sold motorcycles. That's got to be a tough one. You uh, have given up buying newer cars or uh, vacations or even just life's little luxuries. You gave up Starbucks. You know, you gave up going to the gym. The things that really uh, get you excited in your day. Some of you gave those things up so you could give more to greater. Well, in case you don't believe me, I just wanted to show you. We're going to show you three stories today of people in our church who have made sacrifices, who have been generous givers to greater, not just on a, this is the dollar level, but like from where they were in their lives and see how God has been working in their relationship with money. Take a look at this. When this started, I just retired from Stanley Security, which, um, you know, I had a really good income and I didn't know what it was going to be like if um, I retired and didn't even have a job set up. I was at work one day and my blood pressure got to uh, 200 and something and I ended up in the hospital for a day and a half. So my girls told me, you have to retire, you know, uh, 70 years old and working 50 or 60 hours and um, so I did. Gave my two-week notice and retired without having a job or a part-time job. Didn't know what I was going to do. And then this grader came along and was asking me to pledge some money. And I thought, I don't know, you know, how much I can, how, how much I can pledge. But if, I, if I'll pledge so much money, and if I can't, if I don't feel like I'm pledging enough I'll serve at the church. I want to do anything and everything I can because he has blessed me so much. I can't give enough back to him. I've seen God stretch me and make me so much more closer to him um, that I, I just feel like a new person and a changed person through greater and um, through what God has done for me. So my initial thought with greater was we're getting a building and I was really excited about the building. I was not focused on the other aspects of the greater initiative and I committed to the building and I really wanted to see that through and I felt like that was the main goal. But as this whole two years has kind of played out, these crazy two years, um, we've seen uh, just the way that God's moving and um, it's kind of like you're watching a movie and you know the ending's going to be good, but you don't know how it's going to end. Um, but you know you're just along for the ride. As, you know, the weeks kind of went by and it was um, you know, Paul or Steve or any, anybody was, you know, we just gave this much money away. And I would find myself just kind of grumbling <laughs> from from home because we were kind of at home at the time. And I was just like, oh, it, 
if I could just be in charge of this, <laughs> it wouldn't take two years. Like I really, it, my heart was just really not in the giving. It just slowly, I slowly felt just my heart turning to this is, God was saying, like, I've got this. Like, these people are more important than a building. My heart completely changed, even though I've been giving since I was a kid. I've always known, like, this isn't my money. This is God's money, and he can do whatever he wants. This wasn't a building fund. This was just initiative to show that Jesus is greater. And I don't know, that totally just changed my heart. I've always had, I've always had faith that God would provide for us, and he has. And so it was like, well, of course he would provide this uh, a crazy amount of money to reach all these people and a building. But it took me a while to get there. <laughs> it just took a minute. <laughs>
what that means for us. And for us, making disciples, the reason we do it, the reason I would make disciples is because I want Jesus to do in your life what he's done for me. I want him to do for you what he's done in my life. And, um, and that's why we do it. And what has he done for us all? Well, look at John. Look at what John, the apostle John writes at the end of John 3, at the very end of this chapter. He says this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. And we just want to see more and more people come to know eternal life through Jesus. And John said that he wrote the entire book of John. The reason those things were written down is so that you might believe and have life. And really that could have just as easily been the theme for greater. We want to see people come to know him. And so all the things we've talked about, all of the giving to different organizations, all of the saving to hopefully get a building someday. And when we get a building someday, it's not going to be about a building. It's not going to be about these organizations. It's going to be all about helping people find their way back to God, helping people find eternal life through Jesus. And so we're going to celebrate that. Um, let's pray together, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, and, and we'll celebrate through song. God, we are so thankful for uh, your generosity to us, first of all, that we give because you first gave to us, that you gave your one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God, we're thankful for that eternal life, and we want people all around us to know that, people in our neighborhoods, people in our schools, in our workplaces, uh, people on the soccer fields, and on, on our teams. And so uh, we just want you to continue using greater and what you're doing in our hearts to help people find their way back to you. And when, when that happens and someday when we have a new building and someday when we're celebrating all these other things that you've done through greater, Lord, we are gonna give you all of the glory and all of the praise for it because you deserve it all. And so we're thankful for your promises. We're thankful that you are a God who loves us and cares about us. And we praise you in Jesus' name.